All right. Go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to Sedaris. My name is Dave. Really glad that you're here today. Hopefully you didn't get blown off the road. Um, Clearly, Janelle is upset with me, so we're going to go ahead and have a coffee and just see what's going on. So, no, we, love, we love Janelle. She, she keeps me humble. Appreciate that. Um, <laughs> excited about tonight. So, uh, what do you guys think about this shirt? You like this shirt? It's a nice shirt, right? You guys wouldn't believe how old this shirt is. I got this shirt 15 years ago. Right? Here's the point. Sometimes old things are just great things, no matter how old they are. And actually, tonight we're going to be talking about something that's old. Something that's old. It's been around a long time, but it's always been great, and it always will be great, and we don't need to throw it away. And that's the idea of gospel marriage. Did you think I'd go there? Gospel marriage, that's what we'll be talking about tonight. So if you've got your Bible, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus, that's Asia Minor, part of the Greek Empire, absorbed into the Roman Empire. The Apostle Paul goes there, a cultural epicenter in the Roman Empire. Lots of new ideas about all sorts of things. And Paul comes to them and teaches them the ancient things of God and his plans, including how to do marriage God's way. So we'll be looking at that today. And here's the deal with marriage. Every culture, every age, every nation, every human being knows something of marriage. For some reason, everyone does marriage. I think everyone will always do marriage, which makes it the greatest of connecting points to show what the gospel looks like in action. The greatest of connecting points because everyone has some experience of marriage. Marriage done well, marriage done poorly. It's better than any sports analogy. It's better than any political analogy. It's better than any food analogy because it's something that has always been around and in many ways has never changed. And so everyone has some idea of marriage. You'd almost think God designed it, that he, that he put it into our humanity, that he planned it, that he invoked us towards it for some reason, for some purpose that he would work about later, maybe even to explain himself to us better. Because why else would it be a part of every culture and every nation, every empire that's ever existed? Maybe God's trying to tell us something about him through this timeless thing we call marriage. Now, if this is true, if God's trying to communicate something to us through the greatest of connecting points, then as the people of God, we've got to get this right. Because if we don't get this right, then we are making improper statements about who God is, what he is like, how he relates to us. 
It's the most important of relationships because it talks about the most important of things, God himself. And so we have to get this right. We can't just skim past it or carelessly approach it if it does, as I'll share tonight, speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're talking about marriage, and I want to show you a few things about how it connects to the passages that we looked at the last few weeks. So turn to verse 18 in chapter 5 before we get going too far here. Here's what we've got to look at. Verse 18 in Ephesians 5 says this. We looked at this last week. He tells us, don't be drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Here he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 21, one of the ways that we're filled by the Spirit of God is by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then from verse 22 into chapter 6, what we see is what's often referred to as the household code, which is how do we order our family relationships in this world God has created. And so here's how this connects. God wants us to be filled with the Spirit, to live the life that He's designed us to live, to be children of the light, that walk in the light, that walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. That's what we've been talking about in Ephesians. And one of the ways to do that is to submit to one another in relationship in the proper ways in order that we might be properly filled with the Spirit. So if we don't get this right, what we're going to find out is that an improper ordering of our family relationships will hinder the work of the Spirit in our community. If we get marriage wrong, it will hinder the filling up of our community with the Spirit of God. That's how important this is. It's not just about happiness. It's not just about fun. It's not just about even joy. It's about being filled with the Spirit so that we might walk in all the ways that God wants us to walk as a community. We've got to get this right. This is very, very important. Now, we also said this last week. There is this sort of reciprocal nature. We need to be filled with the Spirit so that we can live the kinds of marriages that allow us to be filled with the Spirit more. So we both need the Spirit to live and do marriage according to the gospel, and when we do that, we're filled up more. So you see, it just sort of builds upon itself. So this is important stuff. So let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 21, this household code about how do we order our relationships in marriage. The Apostle Paul says this, Now, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body 
and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits in to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery, and it is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Would you pray with me? Father God, we, we come humbly before your word today. We ask that you would speak to us through it. We ask that whatever we walk into this room with, whatever preconceived notions of what gospel marriage is, Father, that, that we would uh, seek to press those down and hear from you today, that, that, that you might talk to us through your word, that the Spirit would be in this room illuminating the text, that we might understand it. Anything that is not from you, Father, I pray that it goes in one ear and out the other. But if it is from you, may it convict us and move us forward as we seek uh, to be witnesses of the gospel through marriage. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, obviously, we live in a time and a place in a city where the idea of marriage is often uh, maybe challenged or changed. And like I prayed, I, I hope that we can just look at what God says about marriage through this text. I hope that we don't turn off our ears when we hear words that, that, that maybe we have not liked in the past or that have been misunderstood in the past. And we can really ask what God is trying to reveal about it because when we see it in its totality... I think what we'll see, so you got to stick with me, it is a beautiful picture. It is something that we all want, and it is something that brings glory to God. So one of the things that you probably noticed just as we read this text is that there are two primary categories. Gospel marriage only works when both of these things are happening, and it only works when they're happening simultaneously, and those two things are submission and sacrifice. Submission and sacrifice. Now, look again with me at the text. Submission is one of those words that probably stirs something up in us. So let's try to figure out what is the Apostle Paul saying here. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, interestingly enough, in the Greek text, that verb submit is not placed there like it is in the English. It's borrowing it from this, the verse above, which is verse 21, which says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let me just say that right there. Submitting is a part of the Christian life. Whether you're a husband or a wife, a man or a woman, a child or an adult, 
a billionaire or a blue-collar worker, your job as a Christian is to submit in some parts of life. So everyone's called to it. It says so right in verse 21. And then, since there's no verb, that means the verb is placed right here. It says, wives, this is how you submit to your husbands, as to the Lord. Now, this is normal in antiquity. Paul is writing 2,000 years ago, and this was normal. People would have understood this notion of a wife submitting to the leadership of her husband in a marriage. But what we're going to see is that what he calls husbands to do is not normal. So stick with me. When I talk about this passage in premarital counseling, I always say, stick with me because your husband is about to get bashed over the head by me, okay? Because God calls the husbands to such a radical countercultural, revolutionary type of love for their wife that I think you're going to see it and you're going to be like, I want to talk about Ephesians 5 more and more. So we got to start, though, where God starts right here. Wives, submit to, to your own husbands as to the Lord. That's important. Hopefully you only have one husband, so you submit to your own husband. You don't have to submit to everyone's husband. Praise be to God. Okay? Now... <laughs> Here's the deal. What does the word submit mean? Well, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean obey. Interesting, huh? And what we'll see in Ephesians 5 and elsewhere where Paul talks about these same categories is that he uses the verb to obey for children and slaves. Or you could say children and employees. He will not use the word submit. He'll use the word obey. We'll get to that next week. Now, why is that so important? Because what Paul is not saying is that wives, you'd have to obey your husband. Anything he says, you have to do it. That's not what submitting means. It's not what submitting means at all. So what does submitting mean? Let's actually turn real quick. If you want to turn with me, you can, or, or you can just listen to Colossians 3.18. Paul is very consistent when he talks about the household ordering. In Colossians, it's going to be a few pages uh, further in your Bible. Chapter 3, verse 18 says this. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then he goes on. Children, obey your parents. See how the verbs change? In everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. So both here in Colossians and back in Ephesians, this idea of submitting is one of coming underneath the leadership of your husband. Respecting him, trusting him, realizing that God has asked him to lead you. That's what submitting means. Now, it's really, really important to understand that this kind of submitting that he's talking about is voluntary submitting. And the reason we know that is because the verb he used is in the middle voice. 
And the middle voice of a verb means that it's a voluntary action. So what he's saying is, you need to choose to submit yourself to your husband. Why is that so important? Because it does not mean that the husband has the right to domineer, to force his wife to submit to him. It's her choice to submit to his leadership in the family. And the reason that God wants us to do that is because he wants us to recognize the order with which he has set up marriage. From the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 1, there is an ordering to things. And as we'll see, when it works properly, it's a beautiful, beautiful ordering. Now, I just want to read to you, because I think understanding this word is so important, I want to read to you out of a commentary uh, that I looked at this week, okay? Uh, This is what is said about this word, submit. It is critical to recognize that this passage does not represent a cultural concession to the prevailing forms of patriarchy in Roman households. What he's saying here is that Paul is not just saying, okay, just because this is the way it's always been done, Paul is telling us to do that so that we don't stir the pot of Roman culture. No, this passage is countercultural at its core. Paul sets Christ as the example for both wives and husbands, but in particular the husband, as he seeks to understand how he is to exert his leadership and authority in the home. The pattern Paul provides completely redefines what first century what a first century man in the church would have assumed as important to their role as husbands. They are no longer to look at the heavy-handed, oppressive ways that their fathers and grandfathers ruled with in their homes. Rather, they must now look to Christ to see what it truly means to be a leader. Paul instructs the women to consider how they respond to the leadership that the risen Christ provides to the church. The way they respond to Christ should then inform the way they respond to their husbands. Of course, no first century man perfectly embodied the tender, shepherding love and care that Christ provides the church. Thus, it is important to see that Paul does not condition the woman's response on the perfect obedience of her husband to Christ. It should be said, however, that Paul would certainly not have envisioned Christian wives following their husband's lead into sinful practices or unlawful behavior or subjecting themselves to horrible abuse. At this point, the teaching of the apostles, we must obey God rather than men, would apply. I think that's a very good summary of this idea of submitting. When you find a man who loves the Lord and wants to obey God and wants to lead as God has designed him to lead and love as Christ loves the church, he won't be perfect, but when you find a man like that, you are going to want to voluntarily choose to let him lead. That's what Paul's saying. It's not heavy-handed. It's not abusive. In word, deed, or spiritually, hopefully, as we'll see, it creates thriving. But it will not happen. And our life with God cannot happen if we don't learn to submit at times, okay? So inevitably, inevitably, 
and conditionally, this submitting will be dependent upon the husband's ability to love his wife in the way that we are about to study. This means that the husband must love in order for the wife to submit and the wife must submit in order for the husband to love. This is how it plays out in this perfect dance. This perfect dance. So it takes both sides. So let's take a look now at what Paul calls husbands to. Now let me just point your attention to the length at which Paul addresses the husbands. He has a lot more to say to them. Because I think they've got a high calling here. Something that's incredibly difficult to do. They are to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. So I want you to feel the weight of that. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Talk about a high calling. Let me read it again just so we can get familiar. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How much of himself did Christ give up? Part of it? A few hours a day? He gave everything up for the church. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present to the church, the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, as Christ has done this for the church, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And it only happens the way God intended if there's sacrifice and they're submitting. So let me talk about this sacrificing. Again, remember this. This is not normal in the context to which Paul is writing. This is completely revolutionary talk. Because in this culture, the man could do anything he wanted. And Paul is telling them to give up their life for their wife. Now, imagine that I have an umbrella in my hand, okay? I was going to bring an umbrella, and I did not. Just realized it in this moment. So just imagine. You guys are creative people, very creative. And I open up my umbrella, and I put it over my head, okay? Why do I do that? It's not just a fashion symbol, unless you're in London. It's to protect you from the rain that falls. It's to allow life underneath to remain as positive and dry as possible. In the same way, Paul says, the husband is the head of the wife. Which is to say, he's protecting her 
so that whatever happens underneath might thrive. You could say being the head is like being the roof so that everything that happens within the walls of the house might work as close to God's design as possible. And so, husbands, you're called to take it on the chin for your family, for your wife. You're called to be over them in a way that allows them to become everything that they're meant to be. It's not just physical protection. It's also spiritual, emotional, relational. Your job is not an easy one. But it's an incredible honor to get to be a roof over your family's head. Look at verse 28 and 29. It says this, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. So being the head is not just about protecting, allowing life to thrive. It's not sort of an unemotional fixture or position in which you hold. It's also about being intimately connected as a head is to the body. It's this organic relationship the head has with the body that it knows how it's feeling, it knows what it needs, it knows what's best for the body. And we're called to be that, husbands, for our wives. So the analogy I like to, to use, I call it the Frankenstein analogy, okay? This is what Paul's saying. Picture yourself. If you're married, or one day if you become married, pop off your head and place it on your wife's head. Stitch it up, sew it up. That's what Paul's saying for you to do. That you know your wife so well it's like your head is on her body, that you know what she needs. You know everything about her. If she sneezes, you say gesundheit. Even if you're five states away on a business trip, you just know, you can feel it. That's, that's the perfect picture. I'm not there yet, gesundheit, just in case. Was that my wife? No, okay. You must know your wife. And it's a lifelong adventure to learn her in this way. To know her so well that like Paul says, it's like your head on her body. And you love her as much as you love yourself. You know what she needs to survive. You know what she needs to thrive. You know what her desires are, what brings her joy. You know her love languages. You know where she is weak and needs encouragement. You know where she is tempted and needs your stubbornness. Ladies, when you're looking for a man to marry, 
Or if you're already married, pray that your husband becomes this. That he become the kind of man that's strong enough to not give you everything that you ask for. Because he knows you so well that sometimes you'll ask for things that aren't the best thing for you. Ladies, you want this kind of husband that knows you this well, that loves you like this, that would give their own life for you, that knows that sometimes you ask for things that aren't the best because they know you so well, they don't give it to you because it would be detrimental to you. Men, are you ready to love a woman this way? To care about them more than you care about yourself? Let me say that again. To care about them more than you care about yourself. And not just say that, but actually live that. Tell you what, men, you're not going to do this on your own. You must be filled with the Spirit of Christ to love your wife like Christ loved the church. You cannot do it on your own. If you think you're doing it well without Christ, you're lying to yourself. Now, here's what's crazy, okay? Hopefully, it's, it's obvious that when you read this, you say, that kind of love, that kind of sacrificial, unconditional love, that is something that is not outdated at all. Right? I want that. But what's so crazy is the first half of the same passage often stirs up in people some difficulty. It stirs up in them Something that they don't want. I like the part about sacrificial, unconditional love. I don't like this part about submission. I want that, but I don't want that. That's outdated, but this is still totally in style. Well, the world doesn't work that way. The Bible doesn't work that way. You can't have one without the other. The resurrection doesn't mean anything without the cross. The cross doesn't mean anything without the resurrection. You have to have both. Submission and sacrifice together to make true gospel marriage. So, In premarital counseling, I often say to the husband to love your wives this way. But then I have to say to the wives, you've got to come underneath your husband's leadership in this way. Because here's what will always happen. If the husband is trying to lead in this way, but yet he is never respected As the leader, he'll grow tired of loving and sacrificing in this way. Or if the wife is submitting to the leadership of her husband and coming under his care, and the husband's never sacrificing and loving like Paul talks about, she'll get tired. But when both are happening, it's like this beautiful dance. 
And sometimes it takes just one party to start loving each other in this way. And then it starts to feed upon itself. And the more and more I love my wife as Christ loved the church, the more and more she wants to follow me and trust my leadership and respect my leadership and, and, and come to me and, and say, hey, I want you to lead me. And vice versa, the more my wife tells me that I'm worthy of leading this family, the more I want to lead in the way that Christ leads the church. And you see this dance begins to happen. And by the end of it, you're performing a beautiful waltz and the world is looking and they're saying, wow, that seems like the way marriage is supposed to work. How'd you guys learn that? How'd you learn to do marriage that way? And you know what you get to say to them? I learned it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So look at this. Look at verse 32. Paul says something kind of peculiar here. He says, this mystery is profound. And you think he's talking about marriage. He says, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So marriage, Paul says, is actually just a picture of something much greater, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for the church, you and me, those who call upon the name of Jesus. Now here's why this is so important to understand. Remember the gospel. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Just to remind you where we've come from. To remember what the gospel is. Paul says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. God is holy and perfect and good, and by the nature of God, He must root out all unrighteousness, all uncleanness, and so the wrath of God has to come down against the sons of disobedience. So we were by nature children of wrath. Now, Flip back one more page to, actually, you don't need to flip back, to chapter 1, verse 22. Paul, after explaining that the plan of God was to send Jesus Christ into the world, he says this in verse 22. And he put all things under his, that's Christ, Jesus, under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, who is his body, the fullness of of him who fills all in all. And we see also in chapter 5 this talk about Christ as the head of the church. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that we are all exposed to the wrath of God. But God sent Jesus to become our roof, to become our cover to become our umbrella that we hold up over our head 
that protects us from the wrath of God that we might thrive and live the full life that God intended for us, not just now, but into eternity. That's the picture of the gospel that Paul has been painting. Christ as the head. So connected to his body that he knows exactly what we need. And he's making us holy, sanctifying us. Remember we talked about the old and the new self. The old wasting away and the new coming to life. That we might become everything that God intended so that we might be presented in the end without spot or wrinkle as we've lived a life underneath God our head. It's the gospel. Sorry. So this is, this, is, this is why it's so important to understand how gospel marriage works perfectly. Watch this. The Christian must live a life of submission and sacrifice. We submit, voluntarily put ourselves under the covering of Christ. He doesn't coerce us. He doesn't force us. He draws us in by loving us well and says voluntarily, come under my headship, my covering. And then when we do, we experience the eternal thriving under his leadership. But it's only possible because of the sacrifice of the cross. Only because Christ Jesus voluntarily gave up his life and absorbed upon himself the wrath of God on the cross do we even have the opportunity to step underneath that umbrella that he has created and find the peace, the rest, the forgiveness from the judgment for our sin that we are so due. You see how it has to be both and? It's never just one. It's never just all sacrifice. There has to be submission. This is the life of the gospel for every Christian. And so it makes sense that when God orders the most important relationship, the relationship that touches every culture at all moments of time, that he would design that relationship to work the same way. Sacrifice and submission working in this perfect dance to portray the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can say it this way. You cannot experience the joyous glories of the cross unless you come under the place of covering. You don't just get to kind of be outside of the covering of Christ, experiencing all the glories of forgiveness and salvation and protection that Jesus offers. You have to choose to come underneath and line yourself up with him. So just like Paul, we're flipping back and forth between the gospel and marriage. So I'll say this to the ladies in the room. You will not experience the joyous glories of gospel marriage unless you find a God-fearing man who himself is under the headship of Jesus and 
Come to a place in your own heart where you're willing to voluntarily come underneath his leadership. That's what you're looking for. I promise you, you will feel the thriving that God intended if you find and do those things. Gentlemen. It says right here in my notes, slap the table. <laughs> Should have picked a better table. Okay. But I'm serious here. I was getting so upset as I was writing this that I wrote, slap the table. So I'm going to get just as upset right now. How many of you are ready for this kind of responsibility? How many of you are ready for this kind, to be this kind of covering? You think you're ready for this? Do you think you've done the work to prepare yourself to be this kind of husband? Do you think you've been filled with the Spirit of God in order to lead this way and to not think of yourself first in every situation? This is a magnificent, terrifying, haunting responsibility. And I fear that, that, that so many men in our, in our culture and in the church are just not ready, not even close to being ready for this kind of responsibility that don't have the capacity and the capability to sacrifice for our wives and therefore to bring God the glory that he deserves. Men, we've got a lot of work to do to be these kind of men, myself included. This is an enormous privilege and an even bigger responsibility What are you going to do to get ready for it? Many of us are not married yet. What are you going to do to get ready to be this kind of leader? To be this kind of sacrificer? At the end of the day, guys... It's not just about your marriage. It's not just about living the good life. It's about witnessing to the world about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we do not get to work learning how to submit and sacrifice and to dance this dance well, the world is going to look at the church of Jesus Christ and say, they're no different than us. They don't understand love any differently than we do. They don't understand marriage any differently than we do. So probably their God is no different than ours. Probably their Savior is no different than our Savior. There is nothing, if, if God has given has asked you to be married. There is nothing you can do in your life that is more important than learning to live a gospel marriage. It is like the tip of the spear of mission in this world. And more people will ask you about Jesus Christ because of the way you love your wife and because of the way you love your husband than any other thing you do. That's why, God, that's why Paul talks about it first in the household code because it is the most important. So we got to figure this out. 
We've got to challenge each other. We've got to support each other in order to come to a place of glorifying God and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection to the whole world by the way we love one another. Would you pray with me? Father God, we need help. We need so much help. We need you to fill us with your spirit. We need you to move in our lives and in our community in a powerful way. We pray, God, that we would have humble hearts that would, that would see your text, that we would not feel guilt or shame, but that we would be propelled into action to learn to love in the way that you've called us to love. God, that it would not be only one half of the equation seeking to do it well, but both sides would learn to dance this dance, sacrificing, submitting, loving one another. And God, we know that it's going to look different in every household. We know that that everyone has different gifts and everyone has different strengths. And so it's not about delegation of duties. It's about where is my heart, God? And so I pray, Lord, that we would not get hung up on the details of how this plays out exactly, but we first look at our heart and we say, am I wanting to live the life God has called me to live in my marriage and the way I love my spouse or the way I will love my spouse if and when that time comes? We need you, Father. We pray that you would come upon us in a powerful way as we seek to do this well. In Jesus' name, amen.